0: Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. We are in a series that we have appropriately named Stormproof. Stormproof. And um, basically, it's appropriate because we're in the middle of hurricane season, and at any given time, it, you know, it says there's a, at least three or four of them rolling around out there. But we're looking for ways to kind of stormproof our lives. Because, like I've been saying every week, uh, there's, we're either in one of three phases at any given time. We're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or there's a storm on the horizon. So if you've never experienced it, you will. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble, he said, but be a good courage because he has overcome this world. And so that tells me that troubles and storms aren't a matter of if in our lives, but when. Jesus, in fact, told us in Matthew 24, looking ahead to the end times, he says that we are going to be coming upon troubling times. He said there are going to be multiple deceptions on the earth. He says earthquakes will increase. Has anyone noticed anything like that happening? Famines and wars and rumors of wars. Nations, he says, will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. He, he said, we're going to see all these things happening. And he says, when you see these things happening, listen, he said, this is just the beginning of birth pains on the earth. So we can expect to go through some type of storm in our lives, and, or many of us are, already gone through some things but as believers we can also take comfort in the promises of God's word the promises of God's words like we just sang about promises of God's word like in Psalms 107 he says he calmed the storm he calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves what a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he's done for them. And can I get a man on that one? Amen. God has done some great and wonderful things for us. You saw Dennis up here. One of the, the, the praise reports, his, his son was afflicted with something. He just came down suddenly and almost took his life. But the church went to prayer. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Called him on the phone yesterday. I said, What's going on with your heart and your lungs? He said, Pastor Rick, those things have been healed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He says, now I'm just trying to get stronger. I said, well, this is the promise I know for you. Scripture says, he who began a good work yeah. is faithful to complete it in the name yeah. of Jesus. Amen. So we're praying that you have a complete healing. And so God is good in those respects, and we can stand on his promises. The video ended with Psalms 46.1. It says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. That's great. That's a beautiful thing. And then there's Psalm 91. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Folks, that's the rock that we just sang about. That's a good verse to, to memorize. In fact, I'm giving you all homework. That's going to be your homework. Memorize Psalms 91, verses 1 and 2. But practically speaking, what does it mean to dwell in the shelter of the most high? Because to me, that sounds like the absolute best place possible that any of us could pitch our tents. Amen? In the shelter of the Most High. Whenever storms may come our way, it's best to be in the shelter of the Most High. Whether it's a financial storm or physical or uh, medical or spiritual, emotional, whether it's personal or public or political. We should all seek to be in the shelter of the most high, the presence of the one who has the ability to give us rest, even in the midst of the storms. Well, Jesus gave us a clue as to what it means to actually pitch our tent or to live in the shelter of the most high. Because if I went around this room and asked, what does that mean? I'd probably get a whole bunch of different answers. But Jesus cleared it up for us. He gave us a parable in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, called the wise and foolish builders. And this is what he said. He says, therefore, Jesus speaking, everyone who hears these words of mine, and help me out somebody, and puts them into practice, we'll come back to that, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so Jesus basically says that there are two types of people in the world today, and and, and he calls them wise and foolish. He says both have ears to hear God's word. Both are building something, and both are going through some type of storm because everyone goes through storms. We heard last week that he causes the rain to fall on the just as well as the unjust. Everyone's going through something, yet one stands... And the other, false. Now, concerning the ones who hear God's word, listen, if you ever took the time to, to Google what is the number one best-selling book in the world, it's not Harry Potter. It's not Fifty Shades of Grey. This is literally what came up. It says the best-selling book of all time is the Christian Bible. Over 5 billion, with a B, copies sold and distributed. Distributed. It also holds the number one spot for the most read because some people buy books and they never read them. But this, the Christian Bible, worldwide holds the number one spot for the most read as well. Now, someone asked the question, why is the Bible the most sold book? And this is the reason that Google gave. It is one of the most published and printed books in the history of the world. It has been printed in just about every known language, including Braille, and each year since it was first written. And it has been the world's greatest bestseller year after year. That's amazing. Right. Uh, our former president, Mr. P- Trump, was being interviewed, and someone said to him, you're, you're, you're the most famous person in the world. And he said, No, sir. No, sir. That would be Jesus. Come on, somebody. Now, whether he was pandering or not, I don't know. I don't really care. I know he was right. Je- Jesus is literally the most famous person on the world. With Jesus, we literally set our timetable to his birth and death, his, his life living on this earth. Whenever you had uh, uh, 19, or what is it, uh, 2023, 20, That's 2,023 years ago, that was Jesus. That that we have BC, B.C., before Christ, and A.D., which means Anno Domini, which means in the year of the Lord. We are literally, the whole planet is marking its time on the birth and life and death of just one man, Jesus Christ. And so he's the most famous person out there. But listen to me, even with all that being said, Simply having knowledge of Jesus or the Bible isn't enough. Listen to me. To protect you and me from the storms of life, it's not enough to stormproof your life in any meaningful way because Jesus makes it super clear that it's not those who just hear God's word that survives the storms. It's those who hear his word and puts them into practice. Did we read that correctly? Were we all there when we read that? That's what Jesus calls the solid rock foundation, one that's able to withstand not just some of the storms, but all of the storms that this life may throw our way. So if I'm going to storm-proof my life in any meaningful way, I'm going to take God's word in whatever area of life I'm looking at, and I'm going to apply it. to his his word and apply that word to my life. Let's take faith, for instance. If I'm going to take God's word and put them into practice concerning my faith, I'm going to do a couple things of what the word of God says. And I want to look at that this morning. Number one, it says, it's the means, faith is the means by which God saves us all. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith And this not from yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man may boast. Someone say it's a gift. In other words, he's saying, again, I've always said this, no one's going to get to heaven and say, Lord, you're lucky to have me. No one's going to say that. It's a gift. The New Living says it this way, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. And so Jesus makes it real simple to those who were following him at the time. He was doing many things and many miracles, and they turned around and said, well, what must we do? Oh, what works must we do? Well, let's look at it in John chapter 6, verse 28. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Listen, listen. Believe in the one he has sent. Amen. Who was he referring to? He was talking about himself. He said, this is the work that I require. I know in your custom, in, in their custom uh, specifically, they were, they were self-righteous. Many of them were arrogant. It was a works-based society. Much like today, we think that, that our works alone are going to somehow earn our way into heaven, and the Bible makes it clear that that is not the way you get there. That is not the, the passage to the Lord. And Jesus is letting them know there will be no boasting in heaven. It's an absolute 100% gift. The Scripture says there is none righteous, not even one, and you and I are not the exception. You and I are not the exception. We all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standards, and it's only by grace through faith that the Bible says that we are saved, which means salvation is a gift from God, and you cannot earn it. You receive it by faith alone. So the work God requires is to simply believe and trust in the one whom he sent, which is Jesus. And what did Jesus come to do? He came to a cross over 2,000 years ago. That's how we're marking time. He went to a cross, and he paid for the sins, not of his sins. Pontius Pilate, when, they, when he judged him, he says, I don't find anything wrong with him. Why are you bringing him up to me? He paid for the sins of my sins and your sins and the sins of the entire world. And the scripture says the person who claims he has no sin is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And he makes this clear because most of us declare ourselves right, -right self-righteous when we compare ourselves with other people. I'm not as bad as he is or she is. I'm certainly not as bad as Hitler. So God must let me in based on the five, ten things I've done. I gave $2 to the person on the street. I, I, I threw a little bit of money in the offering plate. I didn't yell at my wife this week. Or kick the dog. But that's not the standard God is using. That is not. The standard he's using is perfection. And I don't know anyone who's perfect. That's why we all need grace. All of us fall in some areas sometimes. None of us are perfect. And if you think you are, mm, i pray for you. It's only by grace that we're saved, okay? And so we all need faith in what God has done through Jesus to be saved. But once we're saved, once you've believed in Jesus, listen, it doesn't end there. The evidence that you are saved is a changed life. It's actions. And so faith should result, that's your next feeling, in actions, actions. In actions, another way of saying that is your faith should affect your behavior. I didn't say it. James said it in the Bible. Again, Jesus says it's not those who hear the word of God and don't put them into practice that are justified before them. It's those who hear and do. Come on. And so in James 2.18, he says, Now someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, How can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith, what does he say, by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you, even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish, can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead Without good works. In other words, he's saying the evidence that you have a viable, sustainable faith will be seen in the fruit that, put, that is produced in your life. And though we're not saved by our works, we're only saved by believing in, in Christ. He says we are certainly saved to a work. Does that, does that make sense to you? You didn't just get saved to sit and do nothing. Or there's no change in your life at all. You're saved to work. So James is saying there are those who say, well, I believe in God. And then you look at their lives, and their lives are a train wreck. Train wreck. So he's saying that you believe in God, and you think that's enough good for you. (laughs) You have something now in common with demons. They believe in God, too. And they Tremble. Now, no one is going to say, based on solely believing in God, that a demon is going to be saved. No one is going to say that. But there are those out there that say, "You know what? I believe in God, and that gives me license to do whatever I want." And James is saying, "Slow down. If you truly have faith in God, it will and should also affect your behavior. It will and should also affect your day planner." The things you do on the daily, because faith without works, he says, is dead, just like the body without the spirit is dead. Now, that basically puts you, if you have faith without works, that puts you in the category of hearers of God's words, but not doers, like the devils who are not willing to put God's word into practice. How many know the devils, demons know this, the word of God? They know who God is. They recognized Jesus when he came on the scene. Have you not come to torment us before our time? When Jesus showed up, they knew who he was. They believed and they trembled. And so it's not enough just to say, okay, yes, I believe. If that's all you have in your repertoire, it's not going to prevent the storms of life from coming through your life and potentially wiping you out. So the word says we are saved by faith, listen, to a work, to a work. Now, my question this morning is how are you doing in that area? How are you doing in that area? Since you since you said you believed, has your life changed significantly at all or is it still kind of business as usual? Can, can God get you to do anything meaningful for him besides just showing up? Or is your walk with the Lord, I don't know, interfering with your Netflix and chill time, your recreational time, your Sunday night football. It, it, can God get you to do anything? That's Rick. I'm afraid that, that if I get too serious about God, he might call me to go to, I don't know, India or Africa. Listen, he, 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 he's having trouble getting you to walk across the street to your neighbor <laughs> to invite them to church. Don't worry about India or Africa. Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, verse 41, if anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. Someone say rewarded. Rewarded. And so obviously there's some kind of reward system. It's not a works-based system in terms of salvation, but he is saying that there are rewards involved with those who obey God's word. Now concerning rewards, Paul expounded on this a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Someone say Jesus only. If you ever get into a religion that tells you Jesus and for your salvation, get out of that religion. So he's the foundation. Anyone who builds on that foundation, he says, may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, on judgment day, on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive. Uh, what's the word he uses? A reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but the someone barely escaped. Uh, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. I heard a joke before that, that said well, there was a, a guy who went to heaven, and and uh, and, and, and if if. If your mansion was built on your obedience in terms of the work, that's the lumber that you sent to, 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 to heaven in order for them to build your mansion. And this guy got up there, and he, he, gets, and he, he sees all these beautiful mansions. He gets to his, his little place, and it's a little shack. And he says, Look, Peter, why is mine a shack and there's a mansion? And Peter turns back and says, well, that's all the lumber you sent. That's all you sent. That's all the, the work you've done. And according to this, there are some people who, who, who the, you didn't do what God asked. Okay, you, you got through as through the flames, and so you made it through as someone through the flames. Have you ever seen someone making it through and someone through the flames? Sometimes they just get out like in, like in uh, Hawaii, with just the clothes on their back. I don't want to get to heaven. With just the clothes on my back. Come on, somebody. I, I know it's not going to be set up that way, but you understand what I'm saying. He, he, I want to be able to say yes to whatever God's asked me to do here on this earth, in terms of because I believe in God, and now I know He's given me an assignment, and with that assignment, He says, I can't even give a cup of water to someone in His name without getting a reward because God is watching. God is watching. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And then he goes on to say this in verse 16. Don't you realize that all of you together, all of you together, all of you together, the body of Christ together, are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives where? In you. He says God will destroy anyone who destroys his temple. That's how much God cares about you. Paul figured that out when he was attacking the body of Christ. He said, For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Anyone not ashamed to say they believe in Jesus Christ? Come on, throw your hands up. Not ashamed to say, I've accepted him as your Savior and your Lord. The moment you've done that, the scripture says the Holy Spirit takes up resident in your, in your life, and you become the temple of God. You are holy, set apart by God. So the Bible says faith without works is dead. And this is not on your, script, on your outline, but Hebrews eleven six, it says, and without faith it is impossible to please God because he who comes to God must believe that he is or that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God rewards those who get serious about him. The second thing we need to know about faith, that in order for our faith to grow, our faith must be fed. It has to be fed. Now, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, consequently it says, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So in other words, the more I prioritize and optimize the word of God in my life, my faith is fed and even grows. In Galatians 5, verse 16, it says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then then you won't be doing what your sinful nature, what's the word it uses? Craves. Craves. What do we usually hear that term in connection with? Food. Keep that in mind. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Those two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit or led by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Listen, listen, sexual immorality impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, stay away from the tarot cards and the Ouija boards and all that nonsense, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, one translation says orgies and other sins like these. He says, let me tell you again, those who claim to be Christians and are involved in all these things, he says, I, as I have before, as I've, I've told you before, that anyone living that sort of life, help me out somebody, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, but, but I believe. Well, so do the devils, so do demons, and you're living just like them. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. New Testament. I'm not adding to it. Don't shoot the messenger. He goes on to say, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your lives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. There's no law against these things. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, I saw all the hands that went up, so I'm talking to you, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Now, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading. What does it say? In every part of our lives. lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. And so practically, how do we get the spirit to lead in our lives? Well, I'm telling you, practically speaking, whichever nature, it uses the word craves, all right? Craves, that's what your sinful nature does. It craves like food, like you, you have a sugar craving or you have a, I don't know, watermelon craving. I don't know, whatever it is. It says, whatever nature you feed will lead. I remember years ago, I was working at a school, and they had a competition on who was going to lose the most weight. Everybody in the office jumped in on that. Back then, I didn't have to do it because I I was a a buck 60. I didn't have to lose any weight. But the, the ladies and all the other ones were... Jumped in on all this thing, and so they had a weigh-in and all this other stuff, and every week, whoever weighed the least amount, you know, got whatever the prize was, and that's how they worked it. That was Awesome. But then at the end, there was one particular person who, who, who kept saying this, I don't know what's going on. I'm drinking Diet Coke, I'm doing all these other things, and I'm not losing weight. And then when they, went, when they didn't come to work that day, the person who was sitting at their desk sat down and went looking for a stapler, and they were looking through the desk, and at the bottom of the desk toward the back, there was all sorts of, I don't know, Twinkies and all, and all sorts of junk food and all this other stuff. On the surface, we don't understand why I'm not losing weight. But 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 when nobody's looking, there's a hidden drawer that they're craving. My my daughter, my granddaughter, I went over to the house yesterday, she said, she said, Grandpa, do you want to see my candy drawer? Why? She got a candy drawer. And so she I said, Where is it? She goes, This is my room. I said, okay. And then all of a sudden, all her brothers lined up behind me <laughs> <laughs> to find out where her candy drawer was. I said, you know, it's not very hidden anymore. Listen, if you've got one of these things going on in your life and you're constantly reaching for that hidden drawer, you're not gonna be able to effectively walk out what God wants you to do. Because whatever nature you feed will lead. And the Bible gives us the solution to what to do. He says those who belong to Christ has effectively nailed those passions and those evil desires onto the cross and crucified it there. We'll say it when we do baptisms. Buried with him in baptism and raised with him in newness of life. God has called each and every one of us to not just be a hearer of his word, but to take what he says and to put them into practice. If you don't, you are building a foundation upon sinking sand. Not only will you not lose weight, (laughs) you're not going to grow spiritually and you're not going to be effective in God's kingdom and not if the storms come when the storms come and hit against your little house it's going to become like a house of cards rather than one on a firm solid foundation folks that's how you stormproof your faith using God's word you you can and should do it not just with faith that scripture says, with every part of your life. We read that, right? You should do it with every part of your life. Where are my singers out there? Where are my singers? No singers? Well, come on, let me see, let me see your singers. <laughs> yeah? Those looking for love, all right? Believe in God's promises in those areas. Be careful who you allow into your heart and into your spiritual home. Because if I'm not just going to be a... Hearer only, I'm going to apply what it says. And this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 6:14: Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial, which is another word, for devils. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you, he says it again, are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, he says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you and I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters Says the Lord Almighty. This is New Testament. I'm not reading solely from the Old Testament. This is this is written to the church in Corinth. These are New Testament churches. And so what's he saying? He's saying, Listen, all my single people, stop missionary dating. You know, missionary dating is rig. you don't understand because I'm just trying to win them to the Lord. Chances are they'll end up pulling you down before you pull them up. I'm just saying, don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. That should be your number one question. What do you believe about Jesus? I don't believe in God. Next. Swipe next. What What is it? What do you call it? Swipe left? Swipe right? Whatever you go. Whatever you're doing now. I stopped swiping years ago when I found mine. That should be top of your list. Where are my married folks? Where are my married folks? Oh, where are my married people? You thought I was going to leave you alone. I'm not, because we got to apply God's word. This is what it says in Proverbs 5:15. Don't shoot the messenger. It says, be, care, be faithful to your own wife, just as you drink water from your own well. Don't pour your water in the streets. Don't give your love to just any woman. These things are yours alone and shouldn't be shared with strangers. Be happy with the wife you married when you were young. She gives you joy as your fountain gives you water. She is a lovely and graceful and graceful as a deer. Let her love always make you happy and let her love always hold you captive. My son, don't be held captive by a woman who takes part in adultery. Don't fondle a woman who is not your wife The Lord sees everything you do, and he watches where you go. An evil man will be caught in his wicked ways. The ropes of his sins will tie him up. He will die because he does not control himself. Pastor Rick, I couldn't control myself. Yes, you can. I accidentally fell into an affair. No, you didn't. You wouldn't believe some of the stories I hear. And he will be held captive by his foolishness. He calls you to take those passions and nail them to the cross. You're done with that. And he gives us specific instructions as to how we're to treat the gift that he's given us, drink from your own wells. And so I could take God's word and say, oh, Jesus says, Jesus said, <laughs> everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a the wise builder who built his house on the rock. And when the, when, not if, when the rains came and the, and the winds blew and the streams rose, it blew against the house, but the house still stood. But everyone who takes these words of mine and does not put them into practice, he says it's like a foolish builder who, who builds his house on the sand. And when the, when the rains came and the winds blew, and the waters rose and beat against that house. That house fell, and it says, with a great crash. And we see it all the time. Well, I went to church when I was younger. Oh, really? So why is your life still such a mess? Why are you still living in debauchery? Why are you out there partying like a a drunken fool? Why are you still running around with, with your buddies? You're married now. You're never going to grow. And so if, 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 if you want the spirit to leave, I'm telling you, whatever nature you feed, you've got to feed one and starve the other. And if I start to feed my spirit, the Bible says my faith will grow. And, and Jesus says when he comes back, implying He says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? Implying that it's not going to be as evident because of all the stuff that's going on in this world. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith in you? Folks, we can and should do this in every part of our lives. Every part of our lives whether it's our family, whether it's our finances, whatever it is, we should apply God's word to every part of our lives. That's how you go to the rock. That's how you find, that you, that you find your shelter in, in the presence of the Most High. Not just by hearing it and let it go, whoom, whoom, and don't apply it. It's when you take it and say, oh, wow, that's me right now, Lord give me the strength to say yes to you and no to the foolishness that's going on. And the want to is evidence that you are a child of God. Because for some people, honestly, I, I believe you said a prayer. Because when I look at your life, and I'm not the one that ultimately is going to judge you, but you're living looks, it's just hard to see even you know there's no change and I'm a firm believer if there's no change in your life maybe you got something wrong because everybody I know who gets serious about the Lord their life starts to change the Holy Spirit helps you and even those things that had strongholds before uh, the Holy Spirit comes in even if there were like demonic strongholds the Holy Spirit comes in and says "Mm, you got to go we're gonna break that thing down. And he starts cleaning house. He says, nah, that's stinking thinking. That's gotta go. Uh, no, nah, that behavior, if you keep down that path, you're gonna ruin your marriage and your reputation. You're gonna mess up not just your life, but you're gonna affect your kids and your grandkids when that divorce comes down because you can't figure out what the word of God says about how you should treat that little lady. Am I making sense? So the storms come to all of us. We are all building something. That's what Jesus said. The wise builder and the foolish builder. You're all building something. But whether it stands the test of time, whether it goes from this life into eternity and not doesn't get burnt up or just come crashing down, when those storms come depends on your ability to take what he says and actually put them into practice. Now I say that to say this, because we're in a culture now that makes that list that I gave you, that the Bible says these are the works of the of the of the sinful nature, all that is celebrated today. Debauchery and sexual immorality and drunkenness and parties and orgies. And the person who says, that's wrong, you're the evil one. You got men, grown men, marching in parades in their underwear, twerking in front of children. And they're arresting the guy on the the side of the road who's praying silently in his head outside of abortion clinics. What? So all that nonsense is celebrated today but listen to me I'd rather be a fool in the eyes of men than a fool in the eyes of God Amen. yeah and if my only celebration is going to be in heaven so be it I will wait for those rewards because I know he says he watches everything and I can't even give a cup of water in His name, without getting my rewards, and my belief might be enough to get me in heaven. I said that prayer. Maybe you were serious, and only God judges. But everything else was foolishness. And He says it's going to be like a like a man escaping through the fire. You made it into heaven, and now you're homeless in heaven. <laughs> I'd rather be homeless in heaven <laughs> than anywhere in hell. But I'm not just, I'm not trying to do just enough. Amen. I'm not trying to do just enough. When I get there, I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then I want a parade of people. Lord, because you, because you gave me an assignment and I said yes to you, all these people are in the kingdom because of that. To God be the glory. But at no time am I going to say, Lord, you're lucky to have me. Because he says there'll be no boasting in heaven. There's none righteous, no, not one. The only boasting that's gonna be in heaven is gonna be crowns thrown at the foot of Jesus for what he did to purchase salvation for the entire world. For God so loved you and me that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so the work that he requires is not good works in terms of salvation. It's to believe in Jesus. But once you believe in Jesus, he says, oh, by the way, I've got work for you to do. <laughs> and to the extent you say yes, that's your rewards. And to the extent you shore up your house, it's to the level that you take his words and you put them into practice. And so as we come to a close this morning, that first step is always have you accepted Christ as your Savior and your Lord. And if you've not yet done that, like I always say, it would be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. That's always your first step. But let me ask you a second challenge. If you've been at it now for a while and there's no change in your life, you're still running around. Those who are listening online, you're still doing drugs, and you're still out there sexual immorality, and you're still doing foolish things. Take the word of the Apostle Paul seriously. He, says, he said, I'm telling you, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you want to play the odds... <laughs> There's no change. There's something wrong. And so God is calling you to get serious about your walk with the Lord and about the things that you involve in your life because it's not just involving you. He says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where you go, he goes. What you sit down to watch, he's going with you. I'm not saying it, he says it. My single people, what fellowship does God have with Don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Trust that God's going to bring Mr. Right or Mrs. Right into your life and not Mr. Right now. He says the marriage bed is undefiled. Everything else, he he says, is sexual immorality. Between a um, husband, a man, and a woman. I don't care what culture says I would rather be a fool in the eyes of culture than a fool in the eyes of God. And I'm going to tell you what the Bible says and not what the culture is telling you because the culture will send you straight to hell if you keep following after them. And so if we come to a close this morning, if you if you never accepted Christ as your saving your Lord, now is the time. If God is tugging at your heart and saying, I want you in my kingdom, the only logical answer to me is yes. I, I know there are people who hear the gospel over and over and over and over again. They manage to say no. I don't remember ever hearing it one time. I heard it one time. And I said yes. My mama brought me to church. When explained the gospel. Something went off inside me. I said, Oh my goodness, that makes sense. Now, I've been preaching for years now, and there are people who hear it over and over and over again, and they still manage to say no. It's because their heart's getting hard. The Bible says, today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart, as they did in rebellion. Because there's no guarantee you're going to hear it tomorrow. And I've said this before. This is what happens. The Spirit of the Lord says, ah, he's telling you the truth. You need to respond to him, not me, to the Holy Spirit. But because you keep saying no, you keep saying no, the voice of the Lord gets softer and softer and softer in your life. It's not that He's not talking, it's just your heart's become hard. And so today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Surrender your life to Him and begin your new walk with Him. And He's the Good Shepherd. He's the rock, he's the shelter in which we run into when the storms of life come our way. And Jesus said in this world, we will have trouble. It's inevitable. But be of good cheer, he says, because I have overcome this world. This is an invitation not to join this church, it's to join his church, to join the family of God by putting your faith and trust in him and him alone for your salvation. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And if that's you, say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you today. I acknowledge that I've blown it, I've sinned. I ask you to forgive me for my sins to come into my life, to come into my heart, and help me to live a life that's honoring you. I believe that Jesus came and died on the cross, the most famous person on the planet, and rose again. And because he lives, I will live as well. And so today, I put my complete trust in you. I ask you to come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. And while every head is bound, every eye is closed, have you just said a prayer in your life and has there been no change? Faith, the Bible says, without works. Works is the evidence that you believe. And so ask God to forgive you of not pressing in if that's you. Maybe you need to make a recommitment to him. Father, I'm sorry for just prioritizing everything else over you. Today, I, I want you to be a priority in my life, in my family's life, in my children's life. Help me not to just be a hearer of your word, but a doer as well. Help me not to just let it go in one ear and out the other, but help me to apply it to every area of my life. Today, I commit and recommit my life to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If that was you, if you prayed that prayer or recommitted your life to Christ, just slip up your hands say, Pastor Rick, if you're not ashamed. I see anybody else. I see hands going up all over the place. I see you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Listen, and I don't have to see you. Those who, are, who, are, who prayed online, God sees you. That's the most important thing. Today's a brand new day for you. In Jesus' name. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So, thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.